take that mic out of the ISM budget later, okay? I apologize for that. Um, I didn't see this standing on the stand. Um, I Ryan kind of stole a little bit of my thunder from my intro here, but uh, I want to talk for just a second about this series because um, I, I really believe and I'm thankful that we're doing this series focusing in on life and ministry and stories of Jesus. Uh, and the reason I'm so thankful for it is because th this is a time where it could very easily perceive that it's about impact, right? Impact got a new building, impact's getting so big, impact this and impact that. And um, the truth of the matter is we here at Impact genuinely believe in the name of Jesus and proclaiming the name of Jesus and lifting his name high, not ours. I know Jay's talked about this, but even for me personally, there's been a lot of my attention and my focus that I've had to uh, pay attention to space and, and rooms and details and things that uh, you can get bogged down in, but just to recenter this summer of focusing in on the life of Jesus and who he is. And man, I just challenge you, like Ryan said, to, to get back and read the Gospels if you haven't read them and just fall in love with who Jesus is again. But I want to make it extremely clear if you haven't heard this yet, but uh, the only reason that this building exists is because we believe that we needed more parking spaces for people so they didn't have to drive around three times on the street or that um, there was more space in kid zones so that they had room to be themselves and feel confident and comfortable. There, there was a place for ISM students to call their own, uh, to have a place of safety to learn about who Jesus is and the way that he wants them to live. And the only reason that you're sitting in this room tonight is because uh, we wanted the opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus to more people in our community so that they could take their next step with Jesus. And that is the only reason. So I just want to be extremely clear about that. And I'm so thankful that we're doing this series focusing in on the life of Jesus. And I'm excited to be able to share with you, if you haven't had the opportunity to hear me uh, preach before, I have a tendency to get a little excitable, um, and this Sunday's no different. So I know it's only 1036, um, but I'm ready to rock and roll. I stretched this morning. Here we go. Um, and I will use the entirety of the stage. I'm excited. I'm excited to have a full stage tonight. But we're going to be at John chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, that's where we're going to be landing. Jay texted me, and he was like, hey, um... You can, do you want to preach this weekend? I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And he was like, okay, well, you can pretty much just pick any story of Jesus that you want to preach on. I was like, awesome, that's easy. I, I get to pick whichever story of Jesus I want to preach on. So I'm flipping through the, the Gospels, which if you don't know, those are the four books of the Bible that are four different perspectives of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, and I'm flipping through them, and I'm like, dang. This is way harder than I thought. Every story of Jesus is so cool. And, like, I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to say that. Like, I love the way that Jesus interacts with people, the way that he asks good questions. The, I mean, he was a master storyteller. I even love the way he kind of goes after the religious elite to communicate, hey, this is what I'm actually about. I'm a, I'm a different breed of Jew than you've seen before, right? Like, I just, I love the stories of Jesus. But I landed in John chapter 4 because uh, this chapter specifically jumped out at me and spoke to me when I was uh, in college studying to become a pastor and learning how to dive into the word more. Um, and I can't believe I started college a decade ago, which for some of you are like, you're like, I graduated three decades ago. Shut up. And I get it. It's about perspective. <laughs> But still, that's a long time for me. Um, and so, uh, but as I was in school, we studied John 4, and I learned some of the nuances of the context of the, the time and the place. And when you understand those nuances, it can change the game for the passage that you're, that you're looking at. So we're going to look at some of those today, because John chapter 4, quite literally, oozes nuances. Um, oozes is such a good word when talking about the Bible. It makes you think of like popping a pimple. 
right? Like it just it just oozes, right? Okay, hold up. I so some of you girls out, but I know some of you love popping pimples. Who loves popping pimples out here? I know you're out here. Don't lie. Don't lie. Okay, you're weird, but I love you. Okay, um, but John chapter four has so many nuances that we're gonna explore. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard these nuances before. You've heard John four preached on. This is Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. So before we even jump into the passage, uh, I wanna explain the first nuance, and that is that Jews and Samaritans got along like oil and water, okay? They didn't mix. The Jewish people actually despised the Samaritan people. They oppressed them, they looked down on them. They even referred to them as dogs. So it was a high tension relationship. They didn't like each other. They didn't coexist with each other. And they would actually, the Jewish people would avoid the Samaritans at almost all costs. And so um, we just, I, I want to have that, that tension in mind, that awareness in mind that Jews uh, hated the Samaritans, okay? And the reason being was that there's a time in history when Assyria was a world superpower, global superpower. They dominated most of the known world at the time, and, uh, and they captured some of the Israelite people during their reign. They took some of them, and then they intermarried with uh, Assyrians and Israelite people, and so they had descendants. Those descendants became the Samaritans, so the reason that the Jewish people hated the Samaritans was because they were uh, mixed breed. They were kind of the, the mutts, right? That They weren't purebred Jewish people like they were, so they looked down on the Samaritans because they were part Jewish and part Assyrian. So as we read this passage, I'm going to read about 15 verses straight here. As we read this passage, I just want you to have that tension in mind. Be aware that the Jews and the Samaritans have this weird tension with each other. Okay, we're going to jump in. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, says this. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, he being Jesus. Now he had to go through Samaria. Real quick, circle, underline, mark, memorize, whatever, had to. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay, time out, time out, time out, time out, real quick. Maybe it's just me. This feels like a rocky start to the conversation. Like it, it feels a little awkward on Jesus' part, a little quirky. Like, I mean, he... This is Shavo Gear Modern Language, right? He's chilling at the well. Woman walks up to the well. Hey, can I have a drink? Why are you talking to me? Your people hate my people. Well, if you knew who was asking for a drink, you would ask me for a drink. I'd have given you living water, girl. Like, <laughs> if I'm the Samaritan, who are you? Like, you're mad at me because I didn't ask you for a drink? Like, it just, all I'm saying, and really the only, there's no spiritual implication. I'm just saying I sometimes say awkward and quirky things, and I feel like I'm in good company with Jesus. That's really the whole point. All right, here we go. <laughs> Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I, I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What you have just said is quite true. So now that we have the story in mind, we have this initial tension between the Jews and Samaritans in mind. Let's look at verse chapter four. That had to. Jesus had to go through Samaria because, and I find this notation really interesting that John, the author John, puts in here because, well, no, he didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. We, uh, it might appear as if he did. We got a map. I'm going to show you here uh, where Judea or Judea is on the bottom left here, and then Galilee's kind of up in the center there, and then Samaria's between them. So you look at that and you go, okay, for, to go from Judea to Galilee, A to B, you have to go through point C, right? Like he had to. But here's the deal: Jews despise the Samaritans so much that they would literally cross the Jordan River. You see that on the eastern side there, you got the Sea of Galilee up top, the Dead Sea. They would cross the Jordan River, travel north or south, depending on which direction they were going, and then cross back over the Jordan River when they got to the territory that they wanted. I mean, they must have had Fitbits because they were trying to get steps in. They didn't care how many more miles that they uh, needed to travel. They uh, hated and despised the Samaritans so much that they would walk all the way around them simply to avoid them. So when John notes that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's not a logistical had to, it's a missional had to. He was noting that Jesus had to go to Samaria because he had to have a conversation with a woman because he had to proclaim the truth of the gospel and bring the good news to her. He had to proclaim living water and offer living water because he was of a different mindset. He didn't care what perception said. He didn't care what his, his comrades thought, what the 12 disciples would have thought of him because they were good Jewish young men and they would have been confused as to why he was talking to a Samaritan woman. He didn't care what they thought. He knew he had a different mindset and a different mission that he had to carry the good news and proclaim himself as the Messiah to this young woman to bring about life change in her heart and in her town. He was a different mindset. And as John, our John Bell, talked about last week, that Jesus' mission was he came for the poor, he came for the oppressed, he came for the blind, he came for the broken. And so he, he had to go through Samaria to enter into a conversation with a poor and oppressed woman. He had to go through Samaria. And so he's traveling and along the path, and it's a hot day. He gets exhausted, and, uh, which is interesting to know. I mean, Jesus gets exhausted um, because he was fully human, right? And so he, he says, hey, I'm gonna, I need to sit down as well. I need to take a breather. I'm going to chill right here. And I, I imagine his disciples, probably Peter, because he's always putting his foot in his mouth, was like, Jesus, like the town's right there, bro. Can we just, can we, like, we can see it. Can you just make it to town? We'll rest, we'll there. And he's like, no, I'll just stay here. You guys head into town, get yourself some food, and then you come back out here and meet me out here. And so they walk into town, and as they're walking in, I imagine they pass by the Samaritan woman walking out to the well to draw water. And she journeys out there, and she approaches the well. She sees a man sitting there resting, and so she doesn't want to intrude or be rude, so she approaches from the other side. And she lowers the bucket down to draw water, and as she's doing this very normal, everyday act, this man turns and says, hey, can I have a drink of water? Now, there's, a, there's this, another nuance we need to understand, and, and that's that it, the scripture addresses that this happens about noon. Well, women didn't go to draw water at noon. They, they went in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. They didn't go in the heat of the day when the sun was high in the sky. They didn't go at that point. They would go when it was dawn or dusk, and so it made the task a little bit easier because it wasn't so hot for them. But the second thing is they didn't go by themselves. They would travel in groups. 
They would travel in packs. And so uh, the fact that she is by herself drawing water in the heat of the day and we come to find out a little bit of her checkered past, right? We, we can deduce that this woman has been ostracized by her community. She's, she's no longer a part of the in crowd. And maybe she did that to herself. Maybe she was tired of the drama of every morning going to draw water and the, the other women talking about her in front of her like she wasn't even there. And she's like, fine, I'll just, I'll go by myself. I'll go in the heat of the day. It doesn't matter. But we can tell she is, she's been removed. She is ostracized. She is alone in this community. And yet in one fell swoop, Jesus, he's so, I love the way he does it. He, he asks a question about a basic necessity about water, but in just asking a question, he makes this Samaritan woman feel seen and he gives her dignity. One question. He makes her feel seen and he gives her dignity. But I like, let's understand the, the class system here for, for a second. Like Jesus is a Jewish male rabbi. Now, he's not like the top of the top tier because there's some high priests and some other religious leaders that would have been above rabbis, but he's up there as far as hierarchy goes. And we already understand that, that Jews and Samaritans don't really intermix. They don't really interact with the Samaritan people. But Jewish rabbis also, they wouldn't often talk to their own wives in public because women were seen as less than, women were seen more as property. Now... Look, don't be, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I'm trying to help us understand context, okay? Like, I'm cool. Like, if you know me at all, you know my wife's way cooler than me, and I'm okay with that. Like, um, but don't be mad at me. Be mad at first century Jews. That's what, that's what we're talking about. But they, they uh, thought of women as less than. So the fact Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, I mean, he's breaking social boundaries left and right here. But now we come to find out and we can deduce that this Samaritan woman has been outcasted by other Samaritan women. Like, you're t I mean, Jesus is reaching to the bottom of the barrel at this point. He's reaching all the way down, and in that moment, he makes her feel seen. He gives her dignity simply by asking a question. Because it doesn't matter what she's done. It doesn't matter where she's from. Jesus came to bring a message to the poor, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted, to the sinner. And I got to tell you, man, if you're in here today and you're like... I I mean, I, I, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew my past, and I just got to tell you, I haven't even been in ministry that long. There's not much else you could tell me that would surprise me at this point. Jesus still loves you. And this is one of the only times where we see Jesus actually pursuing and initiating a relationship. You read the gospel, so much of it, he's being bombarded. He's like, I mean, the crowd swarms him and he has to get in a boat to preach. Or he has to climb a mountain or, or they're hanging around him too long. So he ends up having to feed 5,000 people. Like he, people are reaching out to touch him to be healed, to bring in their, their sick to, for them to be healed. And, but Jesus, Jesus, the only other time I can think about it where he pursues a relationship like this is uh, Zacchaeus. Where he's, he's walking down the road, he looks up in the tree because Zacchaeus had to climb the tree. And he's like, yo, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. I don't know what you're cooking, but I'm excited. I kind of wish I could do that to some of you. Like, hey, dinner at your place. That's rude. I won't do that. But I'll give you a week's head notice. Um, but, like, that was one of the only times where we see pursuit, initiation. And in this moment, Jesus initiates a conversation with this woman. He's the one that pursues. He had to go through Samaria. He started the conversation. He asked the question. He didn't make a, a statement that could be, oh, I'm going to ignore that, pretend like I didn't hear it. No, no, no. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to enter into a conversation. I'm going I'm to say something that elicits a response from this person. And he dives into conversation with this 
Samaritan woman talking about the basic need of, of water. And so the conversation plays out as they talk about water, and then he introduces this idea of living water to her. The, the, the living water, something that I have that I can offer you that wells up inside you. I, I can give you deep-seated, deep-rooted peace and joy, hope, love, and grace like you've never experienced or known before. Says that it's welling up to eternal life. And, and I don't think Jesus is talking about just eternal life and that we have eternity with him. But he's saying, I can offer you eternal life here, now, on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have something for you now. Jesus in another place in scripture says, I come that they might have life and have it to the full. And I believe that's what he's talking about, this living water. I have life and I have it. You can have it to the full if you just accept this, if you enter into it, if you, if you drink this water. You can have life and have it to the full. And the conversation plays out. She doesn't get that this is a metaphor, right? But he says, if you drink this water, you'll never grow thirsty again. Check out her response in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, maybe this is like a a, a response out of, I don't want to keep doing this. Like, this is annoying. Every morning, every night, I have to trudge all the way out here to the well, draw water, trudge it all the way back. Like, this is a pain. If you have something that I can drink that I don't have to do that anymore, awesome. I'll take some. But, but I don't hear a logistic answer. I hear an emotional response. Listen to this again. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. What I'm hearing her say is, wait, you're saying I can drink something that I don't have to keep coming back to this place, this very well, this very place, that every time I come back here, I'm reminded of my past mistakes. I'm reminded of my loneliness. I'm reminded of my depression. I'm reminded of being ostracized by my own community. I'm reminded of these terrible things. You're saying you have something that can free me from the bondage of the emotional hold that this place has on me where I don't have to come back here anymore. I don't have to come back to this place where I'm thrown into a mess every time I see this. Well, please, if you have something that can free me from those chains, I would love some of your living water Jesus please give it to me because she's crying out for something more I, I, I want yes if you had that let me have some I would love this that this living water that you speak about and then it's super interesting to me because Jesus uh, he, he changes the conversation she says yeah like he, he essentially offers her living water right he outlines it he essentially offers it and then uh, she's like, yes, please give me some. And he's like, okay, go call your husband, come back. Like all of a sudden, Jesus is now concerned that he's in a conversation with a single Samaritan woman. Um, and it maybe it'd be more appropriate if you go get your husband and come back. I'll tell him how to get the living water and then I'll let. No, I don't think Jesus ever intended for her to leave. What I actually see happening is she asked for living water, and Jesus is starting a conversation of telling her of how to get there. He's guiding her to the living water in the conversation because he knows where it's heading. So he says, go, call your husband, come back. And she replies, I have, I have no husband. And I have to imagine there's a long pause here, right? Like Jesus is sitting there like, you, you don't, that's true, but there's more. It's okay, right? Like, like almost, it's, it's, I already know. It's a, you can tell me. 
I, I, I'm not afraid of your mess. You can, you can share that with me. I, I'm here. I'll still, I'll still love you. But she doesn't. She holds back and she just says the, the minimum statement of I have no husband. So he finally reveals that I know this, right? He's, yeah, you're right. But you've also had five husbands and you're currently sleeping with somebody who's not your husband. And I, now this, obviously this isn't in scripture, but I have to imagine she kind of recoils a little bit in that moment. Like, oh, who, who you been talking to? How, how do you know that? Why? And she realizes, it continues, she realizes, okay, you must be a prophet or something. But almost it's like, oh, this got too real too fast. I don't like this. But, but I also have to imagine she begins to replay this whole conversation in her head like we've been talking about. Wait a second, you, you knew? You obviously knew I was a Samaritan woman when you approached the well or when I came up to the well. But, but you're also admitting that you knew the decisions that I made. You knew the mistakes that I had made. You knew that I was currently sleeping with somebody not my husband. You knew those things about me. And you still interacted with me. You still asked me a question. You still engaged with me. I mean, just by me giving you a drink of water, you could be seen as unclean from your other Jewish friends. And you still asked for a drink of water, to which Jesus will reply every time, absolutely Absolutely, I will enter into conversation with you. I will be there for you with arms open wide every single time. I'm here. I'm here. I love you. I will pursue you. I will chase you down. Now, I need to flip the coin on its head for a few minutes. Because... I, I see a comparison to her response and some modern Christianity today. She only gave half truth. It was truth. She didn't lie to the Messiah. Kudos to her. But it, she didn't reveal everything. And I mean, maybe to some of her credit. I mean, it's, it's a total stranger at this point. But I, I feel like she responded in half-truths, and so many Christians today are trying to live the Christian life with half-truths and partial surrender. That, that so many people are trying to do this Christian life. Yeah, I like Jesus, but you got one foot in Christianity and one foot in culture. That you're halfway in, halfway out. You're trying. You want that, that life to the full that Jesus talks about? Yeah, God, I want, I want life. I want it to the full. I want all of you, but I'm only going to give you part of myself. And so many Christians today are trying to do this where, where they're like, I like this about church, or I like this about Jesus, or I like this about uh, the Bible, but really I, I like this about culture. I like when I do this thing, how that makes me feel. And, and so everyone's trying to create this hodgepodge of their own version of Christianity. And I got to tell you, Christianity doesn't work like that. You got to be all in everything you got. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, it's all that you are fully surrendered to him. Have you ever tried to use your cell phone in a dark room at night? Nobody. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you something. I'm about to blow your mind. Um, not really. But like, so there was one time where Haley and I were getting in bed. And uh, so I'm laying there. My head's on the pillow. And she, she got in. She was responding some to some texts or checking something out. But she was on her phone. So uh, <clears throat> nothing else was happening, unfortunately. But, um, and... Uh, and she's on her phone, but the phone's literally between my face and her face at this time. She's doing her thing. And then all of a sudden, she turns off her phone. Well, what happens is, since none of you have done this, your eyes adjust to the cell phone light. So when you turn off the light, all of a sudden, it's like it's pitch black. You can't see a thing, right? And so she can't see my face six inches in front of her. 
And then all of a sudden, her eyes start to adjust, and my face comes into focus, and she's like, what? Where did you come from? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you can't pin that on me. I've been here the whole time, okay? But the point of this is I feel like so many Christians are trying to utilize Jesus as their cell phone light. That they want to stay in a room that's of darkness. They want to stay in their sin. They want to stay in the things that they have done that makes them feel good. But they also like Jesus. So they look at Jesus and they, they check him out. And that makes them feel nice. And, oh, I got 100 likes on my last post. I'm, that's because I'm awesome. And, and this makes me feel good. Or I'll shine Jesus in this corner of my room because, yeah, I need help over there. But I'm not going to shine Jesus in the rest of my the other three corners because, frankly, I, he doesn't want to see that. I don't want him messing with that part of my life. I'm going to keep that to myself. And, and actually, it's Friday night, and I need to blow off some work steam. So I'm just going to put Jesus away. I'm going to put him in my pocket. He doesn't want to see what I'm about to do on Friday night because that's my night to do my thing. And so I'm going to go out, and I'm going to – I don't need Jesus for this part. I got this handled. I'm cool. And, and I got to tell you, if Jesus has only changed your Sunday and he hasn't changed your Friday night, he's not done transforming you. He, he still got some work to do on you. He, you still have parts of your life that you got to fully surrender. You got to fully step into the light. You got to fully confess. You, you can't live your lives on partial, partial truths, half truths, and be a Christian. You got to fully step into who he is. Jesus isn't a cell phone light that you get to turn on and off and you get to control. The Christian life is about you standing in the middle of a room full of glass windows, and Jesus is the sun. He illuminates everything. He, he gives clarity and light to everything you are looking at, to every aspect of your life, not just some of it. But we're holding back. We're keeping for ourselves. And I, 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 fear, I fear that Christians are sacrificing their righteousness for their own right to do whatever they want. And when I say righteousness, all that means is right living and right living according to God's word. That we're sacrificing the way that God has asked us to live because I'm an American and I have rights. Nope, that's my right to do that. I, I have this right. Nope, you can't mess with that. I, that's my right. And we're, we're living in these half-truths. Well, at, at least it wasn't an affair. That's true, but was it lust? Well, at, at, least I didn't, at least I didn't kill him. Yeah, but are you harboring bitterness? Are you, are you holding on to unforgiveness? I mean, Jesus said, how can I forgive you if you don't forgive others? Well, I mean, we love each other and we're getting married anyway. Yeah, but are you still going outside the, the desire and God's design for what he has of, for sex inside of marriage? Are you trying to live the Christian life with half-truths you're not you're not lying you're not you're not wrong but but you haven't fully stepped into who he is and when i talk about full confession i want to be very clear i'm not saying you got to go to somebody and you got to be like man here is every single time i've lied here's every time i stole something no that's not what i'm talking it's a heart issue jesus cares about your heart are you intentionally holding something back are you intentionally saying no i, I jesus can have that but he can't have this no, I'm going to hold on to control of that because that's, that's for me to manage. That's for, for me. Uh, I know that Jesus probably wouldn't like this, but it makes me feel good, and I'm okay with it right now. I'm, I don't feel bad about it, so I'm, I'm going to do my thing. Are you intentionally holding something back from him, from stepping fully into who he is? 
Because you can't experience the fullness of life, the fullness of Jesus, unless you step into who he is, unless you let go of your past, unless you let go of those things that you think you can control. And as I was studying, I read a brilliant quote by Joseph Mayfield, and you would have no idea who he was, but it says, it was not only that she, the Samaritan woman, had come daily for years to Jacob's well for water. The real problem was that all her life, her religion had not satisfied the thirst of her withered soul. Many people perform all that their religion requires, but having never drunk deeply of him, who is the living water, their lives are unchanged, dry, and fruitless. Do you feel unchanged? Do you feel dry? Do you feel fruitless? Now, mature Christians, there's a lot of people I know, a lot of people I respect, you go through seasons of dryness in your spiritual life. But if you, if you don't even know what that's like, if you don't know what it's like to experience fruit, if you don't know what it's like to experience true change, then my question for you would be, have, have you fully drank in of the living water that God has for you? Have you fully surrendered everything you are? And when I talk about living water with Jesus, it's not like he leaves the faucet on and you can go fill a cup of water or you can fill a bath. No, no, it's stepping back into Niagara Falls. It's overwhelming. It's overpowering. It's, it's, you know what? This could actually kill me. It's that strong. He will provide everything you need, all that you are. But you got to fully surrender. you got to fully step into the light of who Jesus is. Now, I want to be very clear. God's love, his grace, his salvation, his forgiveness, all free. Period. Full stop. No questions asked. But you want to experience living water like that? It comes at a great cost. And Jesus even said so when he said to the rich young ruler, he said, you, you got to go sell all your stuff before you follow me. Because he knew he was too emotionally tied to the things that he owned. When he said, you got to die daily, pick up your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. Or if you want to gain your life, you got to lose it. Those sound like really big costs to me. His saving power is free. His love, never ending, never or unchanging. But you want to experience continual living water? You want to experience the fullness of who Jesus is? You got to give him all of yourself. If that's what you want from him, you got to give him all of yourself. Surrender everything you are, stepping fully into the light of who he is. Now, here at Impact, we talk a lot about story. We believe a lot in the power of story. That's why we do story videos. And I want to land here in verse 39. So the Samaritan woman, she, she goes back into her town and it says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. A Samaritan woman who, is, who had been outcasted, boldly with courage, runs back into her town. Says, he told me everything I ever did. Even the language of that, everything. Not, oh, he told me part of what I've done. You know, this guy told me some of the things that I had done, and so I thought I believed. No, no, no. He knew everything. He told me everything I have ever done, all my mistakes, and he still offered me living water. He still offered me life and life to the full, even though he told me everything I had ever done. Total completeness, full surrender, everything. Have you given everything to him? 
Or are you holding back? Are you holding on? Are you, do you actually, are you used to the darkness? Your eyes have actually adjusted fully to the darkness rather than stepping into the true full light of who Jesus is. Your story is so incredibly powerful and God can use it, but you gotta let him. You have to let him use your story. And I, I, frankly, I get a little sick and tired of, of people saying, man, I have a lame story. And I'm not like actually mad at you. I'm mad at myself because I used to say that. I used to think that about my story. Like, I grew up as a pastor's kid in a Christian home. I got saved when I was five. Like, what's my story? Like, mm, Jesus, thank you for saving me from calling outside the lines. You are so good. <laughs> Praise him, right? Like, but that, that, that's not my story. You want to have a conversation with me? You, you want to sit down one-on-one -on -one across the table? You want to ask me my story? I'll tell you about how Jesus humbled a very, very prideful man in many areas of his life. And it took years to break me down. You, you want to ask me about my story? I'll tell you about how Jesus broke chains of bondage to pornography that I struggled with for many years. I'll tell you about how there was a grace that I didn't even understand that was put on me. I mean, even the fact I grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved each other and loved me and showed me who Jesus was. I know that many of you don't have that story, but that's grace and that's been evidence in my life. And I'm so grateful for it, even if it doesn't feel fair. I'll tell you about how God brought the kingdom, his kingdom, into our marriage four and a half years ago. That Haley was at a place where she was semi-ready to check out. Because things were hard. And God renewed something in both of us through counseling that, that brought about his kingdom and his peace and his love. Sacrificial love, true love between Haley and I that, that has brought about fruit and brought about goodness in our marriage. That's my story. That's who Jesus is to me. He first loved me, and so now I'm simply trying to respond with love back to him. I'm trying to let go of the things of my past. I'm trying to let go of control of what I think I have control with. I mean, it's all just false sense of control anyway. But you, you want to know what it's like? Let go. S surrender. Step into the light. That's what he's calling us to. Full confession. Don't give him half-truths. Don't give him part of yourself. He's, he's worth more than that. He's Jesus. You gotta surrender. I would just everybody stand up right now. We're gonna. We're just gonna end in a song. Here in a minute, Heather's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing the whole song. I know sometimes we just sing part of it, but I, I usually preach pretty succinct, so we got a little time, okay? You're going to give me it out on time. Don't worry. Um, Kids' own team will be thankful. But we're going to sing collectively. And, and the relationship with Jesus is an individual thing. You have to individually choose. Nobody can do that for you. But I believe it is in community that we are able to chase after Jesus because my fear is that we've, we've uh, mistaken authenticity for repentance in the church. 
that we've made authenticity the goal. Like, well, at least I'm authentic with somebody. I tell them my struggles. They know what I've done. I'm able to share with them openly and honestly. That's great. But authenticity is the starting point. You gotta have a real conversation with somebody because if you don't start in a real place, then you can't have a real conversation about where you're struggling at or what you need to do. But authenticity is the starting place. And then you look at the thing that you're struggling with and you say, okay, but now it's time to turn from it. That's what repentance means. It's time to turn away from my sin and it's time to chase after the heart and the light of Jesus. Authenticity is not the goal, it's just the starting point. So don't confuse the two. And some of us in this place have to repent of some stuff in our life. We have to let go of some things. We have to step into the light. And so during this song, we're just going to proclaim that together as one body, as one community, because it's in community that we can have these authentic conversations, that we can be real and honest, but then we can also challenge, we can encourage, and we can empower one another to actually carry out the life that Jesus is calling us to live. It's within the body, it's within community that those things happen. So we're going to praise this, praise God and belt this song out together. And there's going to be a prayer team down front that even if you're in a place where you're like, man, I, I'm not really sure what to do, but I just need to tell somebody something. I, I need to tell somebody that I need to let go of this. I need to tell somebody that I, I've been doing this or whatever the case may be. And you don't have to, but they're here for you if you need someone to talk to. That's why they're here. And they will pray with you they will love you so well but let's sing this out let's praise God together
temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand up for all you cause Jesus you're my hope and as we go out from this place we just ask that you would just continue to speak to our hearts that you would continue to draw us towards full surrender God and throughout this week as we carve time to spend with you in our busy schedules I ask that you would meet with us and that you would just draw us closer to your son we long to walk as Jesus walked on the earth we love you in this place in Jesus name Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming.